right, good morning. Hey, it's good to see you all here this morning. Hey, I want you to take a little trip back in time with me now to your grade school days, okay? For some of you, that wasn't too long ago. For some of you, that was way too long ago. But um, I want you to go back to your grade school days, and um, I want to ask, I wonder if you ever got into one of these conversations where um, something was going on in the playground, and maybe there was some uh, back and forth, bit of a, an argument with one of your friends, and, and, uh, and stakes were building, and, and suddenly you pulled out uh, the trunk. Card. You pulled out the, uh, the, the, the attack that no one could respond to, and you said, well, you know what? My dad's bigger than your dad. And have you ever done that? Do you ever remember getting to that point? Maybe your kids have come home, and they, it was like somehow that was the ultimate weapon of choice, okay? Because no matter what happened, no matter how um, dangerous the situation was in, no matter how outnumbered you felt, you always had that opportunity of saying, well, you know what? My dad it's bigger than your dad. That was kind of the way we, we felt that security and uh, that, that confidence. Um, it's a very popular notion, a very popular idea, uh, this, this use of this phrase. One of my favorite stories I heard once was about three boys who were um, comparing whose dad really was the biggest and the best. And one of them said, you know what? My dad is so amazing that he wrote down a few words on a piece of paper. He sent them off in the mail. And this company sent him $20 back because it was a poem that he'd written that they published. The second kid goes, yeah, you think that's cool? My dad, he wrote lots of words on several pieces of paper and he sent them off. And this company, they sent him back $100 because he'd written a short story that they published. And this third kid, not to be outdone, he's like, well, you know what? Every week... My dad sits down and he writes loads of words on loads of pages. Then he stands up in front of a big crowd of people and calls it a sermon. And he reads it out. And it takes six people with buckets to collect all the money. <laughs> now... <laughs> I do have to tell you, so the very first Sunday at Connect Church, it was back in September of 2013, uh, the Connect kids were meeting out there, and uh, my, my precious daughter, she, uh, the, the service had literally just got started. It was her very first Sunday at Connect Church, and she put her hand up, and the leader said, uh, yes, Emma, what is it? She said, my dad owns this church. <laughs> So I want to clear up a few things. I don't own the church, and I don't get everything that's in the buckets, all right? I just wanted to clear those two things up here at the beginning, all right? But um, I want to kind of talk for a few minutes here this morning because I don't know if you realize this or not, but as followers of Jesus, we can actually stand on the truth that our dad is bigger than your dad. We can actually stand on that as a promise. And, and here's what I mean by this. What I mean is that whenever we face problems or difficult situations, we have a dad or a, a heavenly father, I should say, that is bigger than any situation we could ever face. We have a dad who is bigger than any situation we could ever face. So some of you, if you've been here um, at least four years, you'll know that that bumper we just played, that little video, you'll think, I've seen that before. Well, this was a series that we actually did about four or five years ago called Slaying the Giants. And this, this series, we looked at some of the giants in our lives. We talked about things like um, debt. Uh, I think we talked about uh, grief, divorce, um, just some of those different giants. And we talked about how um, God is a giant slayer. He can help us overcome some of those, those obstacles and those setbacks in our life. And as we draw to a close of our time here in Washington Middle School, I want to just spend a few weeks here just looking 
at the idea that that same God is still the same giant slayer. That he is still bigger than all of the problems, all of the situations, all the things going on in our lives. And this morning, we're, gonna, we're actually going to jump back into the Old Testament. We're going to look at a story, and we're going to see God, the giant killer, at work. And I hope as we focus in on this story this morning, that whatever you're going through in your life right now, maybe you're coming out of a situation, maybe you're, you're going into a situation, maybe you find yourselves this morning right in the middle of a, a challenging time in your life. I hope that as we look at this story together, you will leave here this morning feeling encouraged, knowing that God is still that giant slayer. He is still with us. He's still bigger than everything that we face in our lives. So we're going to go back to a time this morning when Israel was ruled by kings. And uh, there's a, a couple of books in the Old Testament that kind of tell us the history of what was going on at that time. And um, if you read through them, there's Samuel and kings. And they talk a lot about the different kings that came and went. And some were great kings and some weren't so great kings. And as you read about the history of Israel, one constant that you find throughout this is that um, alongside these kings, there were these prophets now, these prophets, they were the men of God. They were the preachers of their day. And their role wasn't to be the kings or the rulers. Their role was to hear from God and to speak to the people of Israel. Sometimes even to speak to the kings themselves. Because God had this kind of unique, special relationship with Israel. There's this covenant relationship and these prophets, God would speak to the people through them. One of these prophets, his name was Elisha. And we're going to look at an incredible account this morning of the life of Elisha. So we're going to read through this together and uh, kind of pick apart some things. And at the end, we're going to just really see, now how does that apply to me today in 2019 here in Washington, Illinois? What does that mean to me thousands of years later? So 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 8 says, Now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such a such a place. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel, beware of passing that place because the Arameans are going to go down there. So the king, king of Israel, he checked on the place indicated by the man of God. And time and again, Elisha warns the king so that he was on his guard in such places. This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, tell me which of us is on the side of the king of Israel. So there were these conflicts going on between this, this place called Aram and this place called Israel. And this king of Aram, he was trying to attack and set up these traps and, and trying to capture the, the soldiers and the people of Israel. But it seemed that every time he came up with a plan, every time he came up with some kind of initiative, his plans were thwarted. And he couldn't figure out why. But as I just mentioned earlier, you see, God had this very special relationship with the people of Israel. It was an incredible relationship, and it's a wonderful example of God's love in, in just the same way as it is for us today. Because sometimes Israel, they reciprocated, and, and they worshipped and loved God back, and sometimes they didn't. Sometimes they would turn their back on God, they would worship idols, they would mess up and do things wrong. But you know what never changed? God's love and commitment for this group of people. The same is true today. We, we make mistakes, we mess up, but God's love for us never changes. 
And because love, because God was committed to the people of Israel, he watched over them, he protected them. So he would speak to Elisha, this prophet, and he would say, hey, you need to warn the king because this enemy is planning an attack. So whenever the enemies planned the attack, God would speak to Elisha. They'd know what's going on. And the king of Aram, he's starting to get mad because he's convinced there's a spy in his camp. The verse continues, tell me, which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? He's talking to his inner circle here. Which one of you is feeding information to the enemy? And they say, none of us, my lord, the king. And one of his officers says, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, he tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. So they've known, they know of this, the reputation of this prophet, this man named Elisha. They said, it's not just the war room, it's not just the court, even the secret words you speak in your bedroom, somehow God is able to communicate those to Elisha. There is no secret that you have that God isn't able to reveal to Elisha. So the king's mad. Verse 13, go find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back, he is in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. So the king's got this secret plan of how he's going to capture Elisha. He sends an army in the middle of the night. Now, there's a little bit of a problem with this. If you remember, there was a movie uh, came out a couple of years ago. It was called The Imitation Game. It was based on a British mathematician who lived during the Second World War called Alan Turing. And he and his team, they are credited as being the geniuses that were able to crack this unbreakable code that the Nazis were using to communicate their plans to one another. It's a fascinating movie. He's really kind of the father of computing because it was a machine that he built that was able to, to analyze and eventually break the Germans' code. And like I say, it's an incredible movie because you see that accomplishment, but there's this really unique twist in the movie because there comes a point about two-thirds of the way through the movie where, where they crack the code, and now every interaction that the Germans are making, they literally know what they're saying. They literally are reading these, these orders. You're to go out into the ocean and, and attack this ship. Go out to this area and attack these soldiers. They, they can read every single code that's coming through. And they have this really unique challenge because they know that if we respond to every single code that we break, very quickly the Germans are going to know that we've broken their code and they're going to change it. So the Allies were faced with this challenging decision where they had to decide to ignore some of the things that were coming through. There were orders sent to attack ships that the Allies did nothing about because they didn't want the Germans to know that they'd cracked the code. Then others, they would be able to kind of figure out ways of doing it. And because of that, they went through the entire Second World War and the Germans never knew that their code had been broken. Now, it turns out that the king of Aram wasn't as smart as the allies, it seems. Because think about it. The Aramean king, upon discovering that this prophet from God has been given insight into all his secret plans, what does he do? he decides to come up with a secret plan to catch him. I mean, come on, what are you thinking here? You'd think you'd have figured out by now that this probably isn't going to work. I'm sending these soldiers by night. We're going to sneak up on Elisha, that same Elisha who every other plan you've come up with has figured out. But he does it nonetheless. 
And he sends his army and his chariots and his soldiers, and they camp around Dothan, this city where Elisha is living. And what we're going to discover here in the next verse is that this really doesn't faze Elisha that much. Now, his servant, that's another story. Listen to this in verse 15. When the servant of the man of God, Elisha, got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Now, this is a new servant, okay? If you read through 2 Kings, you'll know that just prior to this, um, there was another servant who'd been with Elisha a long time, but he's no longer with Elisha, so this is a brand new servant. He's not had the luxury of, of walking alongside Elisha and seeing God at work in his life, seeing all the miracles that have taken place. So his faith is still quite small. And when he sees this mighty army camped around the city, when he finds out that they're there to capture Elisha, he panics. Maybe you're here this morning and, and, and like that servant, you're, you're still fairly new in your relationship with Jesus. Maybe this is something that's new to you as you've been following Jesus and um, like the servant, you've not had years of experience of seeing God at work in your lives to, to look back on. So when you face these um, uh, army situations of your own, when it feels like you're surrounded by problems or troubles in your life, like the servant, you're like, my Lord, what are we going to do? I'd love to tell you this morning that for myself, having walked with Jesus for many years and seen him at work in my life multiple times, that um, I would respond more like Elisha than the servant. But if I'm honest, there are still days when I wake up and I look at what's ahead and I look at what's coming and I look at the challenges I'm facing and I feel a little bit like the servant. And I think, God, what are we going to do? It feels like I'm surrounded here. But listen to the faith of Elisha and how he responded in that moment to the servant. In verse 16, he says, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. That's a great phrase there, right there, isn't it? Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Or as another translation puts it, my dad is bigger than your dad. <laughs> That's the promise we can stand on this morning, that those who are with us are more than those who are with them. In that moment, Elisha's servant's eyes were opened, and, and it's not that the enemy disappeared. It's just that he suddenly had a revelation he could see that the angelic army, that the army of God, was far greater than this man-made army. And he was on, they were on the side of Elisha. They were there to, to watch over, to protect. So um, verse 18 carries on. In fact, I, I want to look more at this idea, but before we get there, I want to just kind of finish out the story to see what happened here with Elisha and the, the soldiers. So verse 18, as the enemy came down towards him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike this army with blindness. So he struck them with blindness as Elisha had asked. 
And Elisha told them, this is not the road and this is not the city. Follow me and I will lead you to the man you are looking for. And he led them to Samaria. Now, Samaria was a city nearby. This was a large city. And this was the city where the entire Israel army would be. So all of the soldiers, all of Israel's army would be in the city of Samaria. And Elisha's asked God to to strike the Arameans uh, with blindness. And obviously, they're not completely blind. Otherwise, they wouldn't have been able to follow this man to the city. So um, the blindness that, that we're talking about here was, was more of a blindness as to who Elisha really was. In that moment, God kind of blinded them to who this really was because this was the guy they were sent to get. If you're a Star Wars fan here this morning, you'll, you'll kind of picture it that Elisha just kind of went, these aren't the droids you're looking for. <laughs> this isn't the prophet you're looking for. Just this really amazing moment where God just didn't physically blind them, but just closed their eyes to who this really was. And Elisha was able to lead them nearby to the city of Samaria. And I love this next part of the story. Listen to what happens in verse 20. After they entered the city, Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes now of these men so they can see. Then the Lord opened their eyes and they looked and there they were inside Samaria. When the king of Israel saw them, he asked Elisha, shall I kill them, my father? Shall I kill them? And he says, do not kill them. Would you kill those who you've captured with your own sword or bow? Set food and water before them so that they may eat and drink and then go back to their master. So he prepared a great feast for them. And after they'd finished eating and drinking, he sent them away and they returned to their master. So the bands from Aram stopped raiding Israel's territory. He literally killed them with kindness. (laughs) I mean, this is not what they were expecting. Can you imagine being one of the soldiers that day, one of those Aramean soldiers? You're following this guy who seems to be fairly trustworthy. He's leading you to where this this enemy is that you've been sent to capture. And then suddenly the light goes on. You realize I am literally right in the middle of the enemy's camp. This is it. It's all over. You know, I, I, as I was preparing my message this week, I was so tempted. I, I, there was a whole other message came out just from this point about the enemies in our life, about the, the people who, who, who do us harm and, and uh, all the, the temptation within us to want to get revenge and to, to, you know, to get back at them and all this kind of thing. And, and, and to be honest with you, if you read the Old Testament, sometimes there's, there's kind of good evidence that we should do that. You know, this isn't, this isn't the only time this happened. There have been times where God's had the Israelites go in and they've wiped out a whole city and they've killed their enemies, you know. But, but right here in the Old Testament, we see this example of them being challenged to be kind to their enemies. Now, when Jesus comes along, that's all he teaches. That's all he teaches. He says, hey, things have changed. I'm calling you to love your enemy. And that's hard to do sometimes, isn't it? That's difficult to do. You say, yo, Dave, theoretically, I like the sound of that, but if you knew what this person had done to me, if you knew this story, then you'd know this is the exception. (laughs) It doesn't count in this situation. (laughs) But the truth is, there is no exception. Jesus challenges us to forgive, to love our enemies. And to be honest with you, sometimes we actually need Jesus to help us do it because there's nothing in us can do it in our own strength. But what a great example of what can happen when you choose 
to be kind, when you choose to do the right thing. It says, the bands from Aram stopped raiding Israel's territory. I don't think that was just a coincidence. I don't think they said, oh, well, let's just... I think something happened in that moment where they kind of faced the the realization that we in this moment could have died and they spared us, they gave us grace. So as a result, we're going to stop attacking the people of Israel. Things changed because of the way the Israelites responded that day. So this is great. I, I love this story. Maybe some of you have heard this before. Maybe some of you, this is the very first time you've heard this account of the life of Elisha and the enemy that was surrounding him. But as I always like to do, I like to kind of look at this and say, okay, that's brilliant. I mean, that's a great story to read. We can go home and think, wow, isn't that amazing that this happened in the history of Israel? This is something that took place in the, the Old Testament. But, but I was like to think, what, what difference does that make in my life today? How does that affect me as I live my life today? Because I honestly believe that um, God, God's word is alive. It's active. It's it's like a two-edged sword. And I think it's as applicable to us in our lives today as it was 2,000 years ago when it happened. And I think God speaks to us through his word. I think that we can learn things from his word as as we apply these principles to our life. So what can we learn from this amazing story this morning? What could God possibly be teaching us? Well, I think the key takeaway this morning is that when it comes to slaying the giants in our lives, it all comes down to how well we see. When it comes to dealing with the giants in our lives, it all comes down to how well we see. And I'm not talking this morning about whether you need to wear glasses or not, you know, uh, and uh, uh, how well you see in the physical realm. But, but especially if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, how well, how well do you see what God is up to in your life? This morning, I want to talk about two things that are related to our, to our eyesight that, that kind of play a part in this story, and that's our vision and our perspective. Our vision and our perspective. Because as I was preparing this message and looking through, these were the two kind of elements from this story that really jumped out to me as an application of this to us today. So what do I mean by Vision. Well, I don't know if you ever thought about this before, but the cool thing about this story is that when it comes to vision, Elisha performed a dual miracle in this account. There was a, there was a dual miracle in the, the sense of vision. There was a, one part of the miracle where the servants couldn't see, and Elisha prayed that his eyes would be open, and then they were open and he could see the, the army of the Lord. Then there was a second part where Elisha prayed that these guys wouldn't see. And in that situation, the enemy, they didn't see Elisha for who he was. So isn't that incredible that that just in this one account, you've got this prophet who who sees two miracles take place when it comes to vision. This guy gets to see something he couldn't see. These guys get to not see something that, that they should have seen. And what I take away from this for myself and for us this morning is that um, sometimes I think we, we live our lives maybe unaware of what God is doing. Sometimes there are some things in our lives that we should see and we don't see. Sometimes as followers of Jesus, we talk to our friends about what God is doing in our lives and we're trying to explain, but for some reason, they don't see what we see. Because there's something outside of our daily existence. There's a role that God plays in our lives. And, and sometimes we need to pause like Elisha's servant and open our eyes, not, not our physical eyes, but our spiritual eyes to be aware of what God is really up to. Recently, I got to um, 
spent some time with a, um, a group of uh, young ladies, and we were looking at some options to, to plant a church, and we got some great stories to tell about that in the future. But, but through this, I got to meet someone, and it was the, the first time I got to meet them. And in talking to this person, I discovered that she wasn't really a, a follower of Jesus, that she'd grown up going to church, but um, since then had kind of fallen away from church. This particular church that she went, up to, went to as a child growing up, she said, um, it, it just kind of made me feel guilty. It really kind of uh, beat me down a lot, you know, really kind of gave me a bad experience of who God was. She then told me about this journey that she's been on the last few months and years where she's been exploring some other faiths, some other religions, and she likes what these people teach, and she likes this, and and the more she told me, the more I could see that there was just this, this spiritual search going on in her life. As I was listening to her and, and hearing what she had to say, I said, you know, I've got to tell you, I said, it's fascinating what you're telling me because I can really see God at work in your life. She said, what do you mean? I said, well, just this, what you've been telling me and, and some of the things you've been sharing about what's gone on in your life over the last few years and, and where you've come from, I can really see that God's involved in your life right now. She goes, I don't understand. I said, well, let me explain. I said, um, Jesus, when he was alive, he used to use these stories he would tell people. And, and these stories were amazing because they were these very simple stories, but they had incredible spiritual depth and truth to them. And people learned about the love of God and the forgiveness of God and who God really was by these stories that Jesus used to tell. And one of them, one of these stories was about a shepherd who had a hundred sheep. And I told this girl, I said, one day, this story Jesus told, that the shepherd was counting his sheep and he realized that he only had 99, that one of those sheep was missing. I said, here's the crazy thing about that story. In this culture, this was kind of accepted. Shepherds just kind of took it for granted. We're not going to keep them all. I mean, there's animals, there's treacherous places out here. If I've got 99 out of 100, I'm doing pretty good. <laughs> so this is what made Jesus' story so crazy, because in Jesus' story, he said even though he had 99 sheep, he left them all, and this shepherd went looking for the one lost sheep. And he wouldn't stop until he found that sheep. And he found him, and he brought him back. I said, the people who heard Jesus tell that story would have thought, that doesn't make any sense at all. Why would you leave these to go for I said, because he wanted them to understand how much they mattered, how much he loved every single one of them. And I said to this girl, I said, listening to your story, I can tell that Jesus wants you to know that you're like that lost sheep. That he doesn't sit back and say, well, I've got lots of people over here who are going to church and lots of people here who are doing okay. He's not content with that. If there is still one sheep that's lost, he will search for that sheep. And I said, I can see what God's doing in your life. You're like that lost sheep. As I started to say that, her eyes just, she just teared up, just started to cry. Because I think in that moment, she recognized that that's what was going on in her life. In my notes here, it says, my role. And when I was writing my notes this week, I, I wrote down my role as a pastor, and then I, I went on to say what I'm about to say. But then I stopped, and I said, you know what? That's not just my role as a pastor. It's my role as a follower of Jesus. I don't want what I'm about to say to make it sound like this is something that, that we do from here on the stage, and you get to listen and watch us do. This is something that God has called all of us to do if you're a follower of Jesus here this morning. So my role as a follower of Jesus it, I, I don't feel like it is to bring someone to Jesus, someone who doesn't know him, and say, let me, let, me come, let me bring you over here and, and introduce you to Jesus. 
I don't even feel like my role is to take Jesus and say, hey, I want to bring you to my friend over here who doesn't know you. Because what I'm learning more and more is that Jesus is already there. Jesus is already walking alongside those people that don't know him. My role is to help open their eyes. My role is, like Elisha's servant, is to help them see that Jesus is already there. I love getting to hear some of your stories, especially those of you who are new to Connect. And, and as we talk and as I get to hear about how Jesus has changed your life, how you've come into a relationship with him, how you've now found uh, Jesus and found a home here at Connect, inevitably, what I hear isn't, I was living like this, and then the day I started Connect, everything changed. What I start to hear is when I came to Connect, it's because there were some things going on leading up to this. Because I think Jesus is pursuing all of us. And sometimes it's just being able to open our eyes and see him. Even those of us who follow Jesus, when we face these obstacles, these difficulties in our lives, we, we pray, God, please take this away or, or show me why this, this problem is here. Instead of just praying, God, open my eyes and show me the answer that you've already provided. Show me the chariots, the, 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 the soldiers that are already there surrounding this situation. So let's not live our lives like the soldiers, blind to what's going on around us. But let's pray the prayer that Elisha prayed for his servant. Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Open our eyes, Lord, so that we may see. If you're here this morning, you've never um, made a decision to follow Jesus, my prayer this morning is that, that your eyes would be open and you realize that he's there pursuing you, wanting that relationship with you. So vision is a huge thing I think we can learn from this story from Elisha. But the second thing I think we can learn is about perspective. I'll explain what that means because perspective is a, is a crazy kind of thing, okay? I don't know if you ever thought about this. Perspective is a funny thing. In fact, I've got a really short video here that just illustrates how perspective can really mess with us. Check this out. crazy how your eyes play tricks on you and things that look huge were actually small and things that look small are actually big. When I read this story of Elisha, one of the things that jumps out at me is the power of perspective and how I, as a follower of Jesus, sometimes I make the mistake of getting my perspective all out of whack. That the problem is that sometimes it's not a, uh, uh, it's not a question of seeing or not seeing it. It's a question of not seeing in perspective. When the servant was scared, Elisha didn't pray, Lord, wipe out all of those enemies. He didn't even pray, Lord, protect us from all of those enemies. He simply explained to his servant, listen, it's going to be okay. Because those who are with us are more than those who are with them. We, you need to understand the perspective here. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. 
I believe this is as true for us today as followers of Jesus as it was back then for Elisha. There's an awesome psalm, Psalm 34, verse 7. It says this, it says, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fears fears him, and he delivers them. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear them. Some of us can look back over the last few weeks and months, and we can see evidence of that in our lives. That there was a big challenge, a big obstacle. Maybe it was financial or health or, or something at work, and, it, and it, was, it was scary. But suddenly we had a little glimpse that those who were with us were far greater. That God had put angels to camp around us and deliver us. Some of us this morning need to grasp the reality of that, that perspective. I've used this illustration before, but sometimes I think we feel like this. This represents our lives. And then, Casey, if you can help me, what happens is a, a problem shows up, and it's about the size of a dodgeball. <laughs> and we look at this thing, and we're like, oh, boy, <laughs> this is trouble. And if we're followers of Jesus this morning, we make the mistake sometimes, don't we? We look at us and we look at this and we think, that is so much bigger than me. God, please make that smaller. No, God, actually make it disappear. Please get the big dodgeball out of my life. And God says, you're praying the wrong prayer. You shouldn't be praying, take this out of my life. What you should be praying is, is open my eyes, Lord, to see all this in perspective. Because there's another ball missing, isn't there? There's another ball missing from this illustration. That ball um, is God. And I was trying to think what ball could represent in this illustration God this morning. Um, This was the ball I came up with. This one right here. Okay? So if you want some perspective, us, problem, God. That's how much bigger he is. But sometimes we, we fall into that trap, don't we, where we look at the, the army that's camped around the city and, and like the servant, we get fearful instead of saying, you know what, don't focus on this. Get some perspective and focus on God who is bigger than every challenge we'll ever face. And I'll be honest with you this morning, even as I hear myself saying it, I'm thinking, that sounds really straightforward. You should do that. <laughs> Because I look at this way too much. (laughs) We're in the middle of building a brand new building and we're so excited. But there's been a lot of times where this has cropped up through this process. And I'm like, oh God, what's going to happen? And I forget, God's in control. It's going to be okay. So how is your eyesight this morning? How's your vision? Are you seeing what God wants you to see? How's your perspective? Are you focusing this morning on the problem or are you focusing on God? Because those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And if you're facing a giant right now, let's not forget that my dad is bigger than your dad. Let's pray. Father, I just pray for everyone here this morning. Lord, as I was preparing this message and thinking about the fact that you are still the same giant slayer that we talked about years ago when we did this series, it's refreshing to be reminded of of that. But I was very aware as I was preparing this, Lord, that I knew that for some people this would be a great uh, lesson to learn as we continue on in our lives. But for some people here this morning, they have a dodgeball-sized problem in their life, a dodgeball-sized situation. There is a, uh, some chariots and soldiers surrounding their city right now, and they feel the pressure and the fear of that. 
So God, for those in particular, I pray this morning that like Elisha prayed for his servant, Lord, open their eyes. Open their eyes this morning. Open their eyes and let them see that those who are with us are far greater than those who are against us. And as that vision comes in, as our eyes are opened, help us to allow that perspective to change the way we look at these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.